media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Genesis 22. It's an Old Testament. It's a story that more than likely you're not going to associate directly with Christmas. And I hope and pray that by the end of the a sermon this morning that you do make a close connection there. How many of you love a good story? Do you like a good story? There's an art to storytelling. I don't know that I had that. Uh, my granddaddy did, and he didn't tell a lot of stories. But one of my fondest memories of my childhood is when we would go home to Virginia each year, and all the cousins would be there, and and it seemed like uh, granddad would gather us on the front porch back when they had front porches and they had swings on the front porches. And uh, he would gather us around and he would tell us this story. And I'm sure he told a multitude of stories. And I don't remember any of those except for one. It's the one that he told over and over again. And the minute all the cousins would come and the minute that we would get granddad alone on that front porch in that swing, he would be tell, he would begin to tell the story about a panther. These kids were out in the forest and I think they had misbehaved and all that. All that kind of got lost except for the panther part and how they were safe from the panther and they ran and they did this and finally they find themselves up a tree and at the very end of that story and I know it sounds kind of shocking today and I wonder if I would tell this to my own grandchildren because it was one of those things at the end of the story the panther comes and the kids are up the tree and the panther goes up the tree and he would make like this, you know, he would raise his voice, he would have these emotions, and every one of his kids, even though we had heard that a thousand times before, would all just kind of squeal, both in fright and in delight, that granddaddy had told us the story of the panther again. We already knew the ending, and yet there was something about hearing that story from granddad that was one of the most intimate parts of my entire childhood. We love a good story. And time after time, we, we talk about this word of God being the story of God. And so oftentimes, even with some of the elders this morning, I was talking, and, you know, not only did we separate it Old Testament and New Testament, but we even would separate the Old Testament to the law and, and to the history and to the poetry and all these. And, and that's good, and it's mechanical, and it serves a purpose. And yet the minute that we forget this, this is one story, story of God's creation of us and how he made us perfect in every way. And yet we rebelled against that. We trusted in ourselves rather than in the faithfulness of God and we sinned. And we call that the fall. And it brought a penalty of separation from God and that intimacy in the garden. It brought about a, a penalty in life. Adam and Eve began to age. They began to become sick. They began to kind of exist in the world that you and I exist in today. And yet in Genesis 3, we see from the very beginning of the story that God promised a Redeemer. We don't always see it in that word. We don't always see the gospel pronounced like we did in Genesis 3, but it's always there. And throughout the Old Testament, we see all these stories of Christ and His coming, pictures of Christ. Now, I say stories, and 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 it's a little bit challenging for me to use that term because I don't want you to think for a second that this story is fictional. Now, what separates the gospel story and God's story is that it was real people and these are real stories. 
And yet I use that term today because we look back and we see in the Old Testament all these pictures, all these vignettes, all these stories that point us that one day God is going to bring us this deliverer. And one of the things that God used in the Old Testament to point the way to the one that was coming one day was the story of the Lamb. And the story of the Lamb is of God is promised that one day he will come and save the people from their sins. I can only imagine that a man by the name of John the Baptist had heard these stories from his childhood. If you know a little bit about John the Baptist, he's the forerunner. He's the one that's going to prepare the world with this story of Christ and how he's coming. Stories of Abraham he must have heard and the sacrifice of his son Isaac. Stories of the Passover lamb and how God miraculously calls his people out of captivity and puts them to a a place where eventually they will go to a, a land that they can call their own because God gave it to them. Stories of the prophet Isaiah that foretold that one day God was going to send a lamb, his lamb, to be led to its slaughter. I can only imagine that what it must have been like on that day when John the Baptist, in reality, saw a figure come across the desert way. And he saw this and he identified him as Christ, the Savior of the world. And he said this in John 1.29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Can you imagine how long John the Baptist had been waiting to say that? Can you imagine how long the people of Israel had heard uh, or been waiting to hear those words? It's one story. It's one promise, and God has fulfilled that promise. And yet, part of that story is that this Lamb of God is going to come again. This Lamb now that we know is not just a Lamb, but a lion and a Lamb. And we're told about that in Revelation. We're talking about what well, we're told about a, 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 a table setting that one day that we're going to have at the Lamb's table. All these different references of a Lamb, and the most exciting thing about this story is it's true. Let's pray this morning, Father. Will you give us focus on the truth of all that you've ever done, all that you've ever claimed, everything that you've ever said. And Father, today as we go back thousands of years to a story of a father and a son, Father, will you help us to see this picture of Christ, this hope of Christ, the hope that in in the midst of total chaos and confusion, you make a promise that you will provide a lamb. For Father, we live in a day of chaos. And Father, we live many of our lives in a, in a time of confusion. And yet, Father, that promise It's still made today from you to your people, Father, that you will provide a lamb. Father, help us to see this connection. Father, help us to see the beauty of it. Help it, Father, as we wait for the return of the lamb one day. All these things we ask in your name. Amen. Open your Bibles to Genesis 22. Not the familiar place that we usually go for the Christmas story, but we begin to see there. We begin to see this mention of a lamb, but it's not the first mention of lamb. We, we actually see the first mention of the lamb all the way back in Genesis chapter 4. After the fall, and after Adam and Eve have separated themselves from a holy God because of their rebellion, 
and, and their trust in themselves rather than the trust that God had told them to put in him and him alone, we see the separation. And they end up having some children, and two of these children are Cain and Abel. We see this mention of the land from the very, very beginning in Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel bring offerings to God, and, and God regards the offering of Abel. And Abel is a tender of sheep, and, and Cain is the farmer of the land, and they, they both bring things, and, and yet the Bible says that God regarded Abel's sacrifice, but he did not regard Cain's sacrifice. Well, we see that this angers Cain, and we actually see the, the, the first murder, the first taking of a life in the Bible. All that happening in the very first pages of this story. As we would continue on with this story, this story of real people, things that really happen in this truth of God, we begin to see this pattern of this mention of a lamb. and We see lambs and sheep and the Old Testament. They become central to the whole idea of atonement, the forgiveness of sin. There are books of, of Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus. Just do a study yourself and see how many times lambs, sheep, or something of, of, of that uh, uh, nature is mentioned in those books of the law. But God had set up so that the people could be pointed that they needed atonement for their sin. And then we come to the New Testament and John the Baptist, having been very familiar with all those meanings, with great purpose and with great excitement, announces, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A Lamb that had been waited on for centuries. A Lamb that God had promised that He would provide. If you go back to Genesis, you see these pictures of the land, but you can also, as you would read on, and by the time we get to chapter 17 through 22, we see this man that God has chosen to, to lead, to be the father of a great nation. His name is Abram. God changes that to Abraham, and we probably more familiarly know him as Abraham. And we see the beginning of that in Genesis chapter 17. So even though I said chapter 22, kind of go back just a page or two and look at Genesis 17. This is God's choice here, and he's the father of God's nation. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. He chooses Abraham. He says, I'm going to make of you a great nation, a great people. And he makes this covenant with Abraham. And as you read on in chapter 17, it's just remarkable. It's overwhelming what he does there. And he makes this promise about this covenant. And look down at verse 15 and 16 of chapter 17. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you should not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. And I will bless her. And she shall become nations Kings of people shall come from her. Well, by this time, they're older. And even though they've tried and tried and tried and tried, they, Sarah has not been able to conceive. She's not been able to give any child to Abraham, much less a son. And yet you can only imagine what kind of began to happen in their heart when God made this promise. In fact, they reacted like many of you would react if all of a sudden you're in your 90s. And God told you, you're going to have a son. What did Sarah do? She laughed. <laughs> and we still wonder, is that a laugh of disbelief? Is it a laugh of excitement? Is it a laugh of this? I don't know. Probably all in one. 
Because I guarantee you, as we get into our 70s and 80s and 90s, if God told you that you're going to have a son, you would be excited, surprised, overwhelmed. I mean, all those emotions would come. And that's what we see in this couple. We begin to see that God had planned to extend this covenant through their son. And God keeps his promise. Now go back over to Genesis 21. Because we fast forward and we don't know exactly how old this son has become, but he's been born. Look what happens in verses 1 through 3. Genesis 21. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Connect those two. God said it and he promised it and he did it. Please make that connection there. We see it again in verse 2. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. God says it. He makes a promise, a covenant in this relationship, and he delivers. And Abraham called his name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Can you imagine again the shock, the surprise of having a son when you're in your 90s, Abraham 100 years old by this point. But can you imagine the shock and surprise when one day God goes to Abraham, this one that he has promised to be the father of nations that he's made covenant with, that he's shown great favor to, can you imagine the shock and surprise when this same God goes and tells Abraham that he needs to sacrifice his son? Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2. And after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Who's speaking in verse 2? God is. This is not the words of Abraham. This is the words of holy God. And what does God affirm about the connection or the feelings, uh, the intimacy that Abraham has for his son? He identifies, God identifies how Abraham feels about his son, who he is. He says, your son, your only son, whom you love. So I could imagine that if God told me to do something so drastic in my life that was so overwhelming that I couldn't comprehend, that one of the first things that I would want to say, God, don't you know that this is my only son? Don't you know that I love my son? And yet God says this. Abraham, I know these details. There's nothing about you that I don't know. But perhaps even more surprising than God's request is Abraham's response. Look at verse 3. And I still get choked up every time I, I read this because I want to be that man. Because look what he does. So Abraham rose early in the morning. I'm not rising early in the morning. I'm heading the other way. I am Jonah that God calls to Nineveh and I go to Tarsus. You want to take my son? 
my only son whom I love and you affirm that I truly love my son in this capacity and now you tell me to go sacrifice the son? The son by which he's going to carry the promise? Folks, I don't know that there's any earthly grasp to this. Now, theologians have said, and we can look in Hebrews, and it says that, that Abraham was commended for his faith because he believed that, that God, even if he had sacrificed his son, could bring his son back from the dead. Another pre-picture of Christ. This man is an incredible faith. But a man of faith with obedience. Have you ever had the faith, and yet you lack the obedience? Can we still call it faith? <laughs> If we lack the obedience, can we still call it faith if God tells us to, to go tomorrow and we don't rise early in the morning? But Abraham did. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of these young men with them and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Now remember that Abraham had been waiting how long for a son? Over a hundred years, he even kind of erred. And, and, and here this man of faith shows that he did have cracks in his faith because he kind of comes up with plan 2.0. Instead of going with God's one point, you know, this one uh, plan of God, uh, when it's not happening in this time, he goes off and he has a child with a handmaiden and, and he kind of comes up with a plan B, as we often do when God is not working fast enough us and we find ourselves waiting. Have you ever gone to plan B when God said, no, it's plan A? And he's never given you revision 2.0 and he's never said, here's another door that you can... And, and yet, because of the hard part of waiting, even on a faithful God, that we kind of make up our own story, this man of great faith shows that he's not perfect he had done that and yet God in his faithfulness kept his word even when Abraham did not keep his word that's what the New Testament tells us that God is faithful God that even in our disobedience even in our lack of faithfulness that God always remains faithful to his covenant and his promise and here we see that in action so Abraham, verse 6 and 7, he goes out and Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son. That is, that he, we, we think that Isaac's probably a teenager. We don't know. We know he's probably old, older than four or five because he has understanding. And yet we know that he's uh, not 32 or something like that because we find out that Sarah's passed. And in this story, Sarah's still alive. Okay, so, so he's probably a teenager. He's probably 14, 15, 16, 17. And he lays this wood on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. Let me show you the heart. Back up one verse and let me show you the heart of this faithfulness. Because here he does the actions, and, and yet, does he do it begrudgingly? Does he do it in a way that he's got it all figured out? No, he goes back, and in the simple simplicity of just having faith in God, and, and yet not over-understanding and being overwhelmed with everything, look what it says in verse 5. Let's back up one verse just real quick. Then Abraham said to the young man, remember he took Abraham, Isaac, and two servants? 
And he gets to this place where he's about to sacrifice his son. And he tells the servants to stay there. Look what it says. Stay here with the donkey. And I and the boy will go over there and... Wow. He tells him two things. Okay, I'm going to worship and I will come again to you. See the trust and the faith there? Is there any greater worship than obedience and waiting? I mean, Romans tells us that that, that good obedience is, is a part of our spiritual act of worship. And as much as we may sing songs and call that worship and say we have a, a time in the in a Sunday morning worship service that we call worship, and okay, we worshiped and Some even raised their hands and some did this. And we sing these great songs about God's faithfulness. Folks, real worship comes when you leave early the next morning. You walk for three days on a journey. Time to contemplate what God has asked you to do. And then you're faced with that task. And you tell the two servants to stay here. And you say, we're going to the mountain to worship. I don't understand that. That is a man way beyond my pay level in the area of faith. And yet that's what Abraham does. Verse 7. Go back to verse 6 and 7. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, What? My father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I can't even. I don't have words, guys. I can't imagine. But Abraham did. Verse 8. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. He realizes that this God of the promise is also the God of the provision. Have you come to the place in your spiritual walk with a a totally faithful God that you've realized that the God of the promise is the God of the provision? Have Have you come to that? Have you experienced that? You're talking about worship, guys. Not tied to singing a song, or that, but, but obedience, and then finding out that God is faithful and true in what he has said. That's the same God that made the promise. It's the God who carries out the provision. And I'm not so sure that just because we're a Christian and we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, in one basic foundational level, we've done that because we see Christ as, as truly the only answer that we have to a holy God to be made one with God and, and to have a right relationship with him. And yet in daily life, when God makes promises that we don't have to worry, do we understand that the God of the promise is the God of the provision? I mean, did we just walk over when... Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, hey, when you worry, you're actually acting like unbelievers. 
Could that have ever been said about you? Can that be said about you? Are you not of more value than the birds, and yet I take care of them? The God of the promise is the God of provision. And Abraham trusts that. So what finally happens? Verse 9. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out of his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And what does Abraham say here in response, guys? Please catch this. Here I am. Well, what did he say earlier in the scenario when God says, okay, I want you to go do this? Here I am. Are, are there more beautiful words for a Christian to say? When holy God impresses upon our heart leadership to, to obedience and calls us to great faith and calls us to, to, to the life that he's called us and the faithfulness in Christ and that we would say simply, here I am. And, and yet we see this repeated in Abraham, uh, both during, before he has to actually carry out the event, and now in the midst of the event. I don't know about you, but it's really easy for me to say the first, here I am. Have you found that to be true in your life? When, when we're just in general and God's talking, to, hey, Abraham, here I am. Here's what I want you to go do. And then you're actually in the action of doing what God is actually to do, as hard as that can be, and you go, here I am. He responds with the same words that started this whole scenario. And then God gives us a picture of the story that eventually leads to the story of all stories. Verse 12. He said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. Did God just have an aha moment? God never has an aha moment. He is sovereign God. He has all knowledge. He uses this expressor that, okay, really it's Abraham that figures out that God is faithful. God already knows the story. I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram. Farmers. What is a ram? A male lamb that's over one year old. Okay. I'm not a farmer, but, you know, just in case you're going, well, it's not a lamb. <laughs> I thought this was behold the lamb. Lamb, sheep, rams. A ram is a lamb that's older than one. A male lamb, okay. God provided a lamb. And Abraham lifted his eyes and he looked and behold, behind him was a ram called in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the lamb and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The scene ends in a substitutionary death. In Abraham's proclamation, the Lord will provide. Christian, brother, sister. There's a time in our life that we're going to say in anticipation, the Lord will provide. And I pray that there are times in our lives 
that we will be able to tell our children and our grandchildren the Lord did provide. It's the story of our faith and it's one of the parts of the spiritual legacy that we can leave to the future generations. But not just this God will provide, but God did provide. Let me tell you about it, my son. Let me tell you about little Susie. Let me tell you, little Johnny, about how God not only will provide, but how he did provide. What a spiritual legacy we get to share, guys. And centuries later, is a man by the name of John the Baptist. In the continuation of this story, we come to the heart of the story. And he proclaims as he sees this figure across the desert, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Are you waiting? I mean, I think that many of us would agree that we're waiting for the second return of Christ. And, and in that capacity, we, we share this. And yet there's many areas of our lives, I, I would imagine... You're like Carly and I, that you're waiting on something. Maybe you've been praying for that marriage. You've been praying for a son or daughter. You've been praying for this. You've been praying for the ability to conceive and have a son or daughter. You've been praying for God's leadership, a call upon your life. You've been waiting. Can I encourage you this morning? Can you simply show faith, simple childlike faith, obedient faith, and say, God, I, I don't know the timetable. I don't know the, the, the circumstances. In fact, the circumstances seem like they're not. But here I am. That God, whatever, whatever you have. Please don't hear me wrong, guys. I, w- I would never want to hurt your heart that, okay, if we just believe that God's going to, if you've been waiting for a child and you haven't been able to conceive, that, that all of a sudden God's going to do that. Uh, this is not name it, claim it. This is not, you know, some kind of simple thing that we make God, some kind of servant to us. No, I'm saying that in the perfect will of God, his story for your life, as it impacts the story of this story and this life, that God is faithful, that when he calls you, and he makes covenant with you. If you're a Christian this morning, he's made covenant with you through Jesus Christ, the new covenant, this lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. We are a people that are waiting. But while we are waiting, God has given us both a promise and one day, I believe with all my heart, that he will bring provision. I don't know that there's anything more intimate in our lives than things that are concerning our families. I can't believe that there would be anything in my life that, that would be more testing and trying to me than if God said, take your son, your only son, the son whom you love, and sacrifice him. I don't know that I'm leaving early the next morning, but I hope to be that man. I don't know that I'm ready to say, here I am, and on that very day that he says, bring this into reality, that I said, okay, here I am, as he calls my name. But I, I know God's faithfulness. And so my desire this morning is that, that we would become a more faithful people. Yes, but why? Because our God is faithful. And, and that our faithfulness is built upon him and his faithfulness. 
not in our ability to be faithful. We simply go back and we see that God has truly been faithful all of our lives. Now, we've said that before, and as I close this morning, I'm impressed when a young man stands up and says, God, and he's 89 years old. I'm impressed when a young man says, I have found God and I have found him to be faithful all my life. I'm impressed when an eight or nine year old would do that. But I'm impressed when an 80 year old, a 90 year old, someone who's over a hundred years old, I have found God and I have found him to be faithful all my life. I, I, I don't want the spiritual legacy to be a weight upon your shoulders. I want it to be a joy of your heart. That truly, in the spirit of John the Baptist this morning, in the spirit of John the Baptist this morning, that we would tell our generations all around us, our friends and our family and our future generations, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Let's pray this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. Oh, Father, thank you for being a storyteller. Not in some fictional way, Father, not just to make up something for entertainment, Father, that you give us the story of the gospel and you illustrate it in ways that we would never, ever come up with on our own, Father. It is beyond us to think that you, holy God, would make a promise to a father and then ask that father to place that son of promise for a sacrifice. And yet you, holy God, took your son and three days later, Father, you took him from death to life so that we truly have a risen Savior, a hope. For you are the God of the promise, but you are the God of the provision. And Father, every provision that we have found, that we need, that we truly need, have been found made yes and right in Jesus Christ. Father, during this Advent season, this time of waiting for the coming, for their arrival, Father, help us to be a people that are found faithful. And Father, help us to tell this great story to the generations that we might have stories of our own life of where you have shown yourself faithful, provider, savior, Lord. So, Father, yes, we sing this morning, O come, O come, Emmanuel. But until that time, Father, when your Son returns, let us be a people, people that are obedient and faithful to your call. For we pray this in the name of the one that made it possible, our coming Savior. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.